a messy job? Well, that's when they usually call on me or someone like me. We are the SpyFi Guys, and this is Danger Man. Welcome to the SpyFi Guys, where we cover spy facts, spy fiction, and everything in between. I'm Christian. I'm Zach. And welcome to part three of our Swinging 60s Spy Summer. All this summer, we'll be breaking with our usual formula to cover exclusively fictional spy movies and TV shows made or set during the golden age of spy cinema, the 1960s. So grab your go-go boots and put on your ascot. It's time to get groovy. And this week, we are covering Danger Man or Secret Agent, depending on which part of the country or when you're watching it. So we watched these through Roku, and I guess they're the British version, so it was Danger Man. So we didn't get the theme song, which I was disappointed with, because that is a go-to for for karaoke for me. Wait, what's the theme song? Why did you guys cover the show? What is the deal with the show? What is this show's lasting impact on pop culture? It's the theme song. It's Secret Agent Man by Johnny Rivers. And I will not sing it, because this is not a podcast about me singing, but it's a great song. They used it. I believe in the first Austin Powers, and it's been used a lot. Yeah, I mean, everyone must be familiar with it. It's the one that goes, secret agent man, secret agent man. I'm willing to sing a little bit. Or, <laughs> I seriously know people who honestly think the lyric is secret agent man. I have heard that, yes. To be a misread lyrics, it's like the Long Kiss Goodnight episode where we're talking about that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so speaking of theme songs, that we forgot to mention this a few episodes ago, but what do you think of our new theme song for our 60s spy series? Oh, it sounds great. I definitely appreciate that it mixes it up. It feels like it's a true special event this summer. And that's credit to one of a friend of the podcast, so Jer. So thank you for that, Jer. All right, so shall we get into this? Yeah, so in order to get a pretty good idea of the show. We watched two of the highest rated episodes we were able to get our hands on via IMDb. We use the Roku channel. There are quite a few episodes of the show on YouTube. So if you want to check it out, that might be a good place to go. So our first episode we covered was from the first season, which was a American finance production. I believe it was based in Britain. The episodes were shorter. This one is only 25 minutes. So we covered Josetta. Third episode of the first season, right? I believe so, yes. All right, so here is the synopsis of our first episode, Josetta, from IMDb. A foreign senator is murdered in the presence of his blind relative, Josetta. Rioting ensues due to a rumor that the American government was behind the killing, and NATO agent John Drake sent in. So that about covers it, I guess. This was interesting. So does every episode start with, like, really loud sounds and, like, just disjointed images you mean like how this one begins with this carnival yeah yeah so well so we got that yeah carnival uh they call it a fiesta later on Um, but it really looks like just your average american carnival Mm -hmm. Uh, and then we cut to a blind pianist what was her character's name i don't actually remember i think they call her by her last name a lot which doesn't help. all right on imdb her first name is josetta i have her note in my notes as just like the sister but senorita ingress Right, so she's playing the piano using Braille mm-hmm. music, so that's pretty cool. And she gets a she gets a visitor named Senor Da Silva. 
Mm-hmm. De Silva says that you know he's he has an appointment with her brother Miguel, but everyone else is at the festival, so it's just them there. And as they're waiting, she can hear because she has because she's blind. Her other senses are enhanced, so not, not to the degree of Daredevil, but unfortunately, no. Yeah, but that'll come up later. So let's remember that. So yeah. her brother comes home and he recognizes De Silva. De Silva pulls a gun and shoots him dead, basically. Yep. Which this reminded me of James Bond because you have. The- party and then someone getting murdered that seems to be like a common james bond cold opening or just any sort of crime show as well reminds you of more like law and order where it's two people having an inane conversation and they find a dead body <laughs> that's how like every episode of hawaii 50 starts too i feel like but so we go we go into the opening the, now yeah we go into that opening where so i think oh, is it only in the first season where they have this sort of opening monologue it appears that way yes Again, so without we, the Dan- without the Secret Agent Man soundtrack, which I was disappointed by, but so we get yeah, introduced. But I kind of like the music. Yeah, and it was it was fine. It's just I was expecting because, like like you said, the cultural legacy of this show is a Secret Agent Man theme song, and so I was expecting it. And when it wasn't, I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, but we're introduced to John uh, Drake. John Drake. I like how they did the James Bond like intro line, which, although this is filmed in 1960, so this is actually before. The first James Bond film came out in 1962. So, was that just the way people introduced themselves in the in like back in the day? I feel like yeah, I feel like people people <laughs> say that. But the, James Bond, I guess, just became the one who did it the best. So that's mm-hmm. the one who gets remembered. The one we watched is he names a bunch of agencies. Mm-hmm. He's like England is MI5, France is Ian America's CIA, and NATO also has its own. I was I was wondering if that was a reference to the man from Uncle, which they work for some sort of like NATO. Oh wait, no, that's that's not it. Uh, no, I'm thinking of Unit from uh, Doctor Who, the United Nations Intelligence Task Force. Well, I really like that he works for NATO, and I'm surprised that more movies don't do it <laughs> because it's a way to have international yeah. people on your team without having it be something like Unit, which is like very clearly fictional. <laughs> or is it? Or is it right? We find out that apparently there's some anti-American riots uh, that are happening in this. Co- Do we ever find out what country this is supposed to be? They say Sao Sao Paulo, or maybe that's oh. the city. I think it's a reference to Sao Paulo, but maybe they okay, so it's the actual one. So, like a lot of these shows in the '60s, where they use they use a lot of fictional countries because they don't want to actually name a country and have any sort of like blowback, right? So they uh, say yes. the U.S. was blamed for the murder of this senator, and it's going to cause all kinds of international problems unless Drake can find the real killer. So do we know why that they're blaming the Americans? Like, there's no real reason, is there? I would imagine that the opposition, uh-huh. and I don't know if he calls them the opposition this episode or a later one. I'll have to check. I would imagine they have, like, a hidden hand, like a hidden agenda going on. Okay. Anyway, so... We have Drake, you know, comes to the sister's house and the there's a colonel there who's like the chief of police. Drake interviews her. What is her accent? It like seems to stray between Russian and and uh, like Spanish. They're very different sounding than everybody else. <laughs> anyway, so we find out that apparently she smelled like a very distinct perfume uh, that the guy had or cologne that the guy had on. And she heard right. the man, and apparently he, like, as he shot, as the uh, the Silva shot uh, her brother, there was, like, a distinct gasp, as if he was, like, surprised or shocked. Maybe he wasn't entirely in it. Yeah, she has a pretty smart observation where 
she's like, De Silva is a false name because I said De Silva to the brother and he didn't recognize it, but he recognized the guy's face. Mm-hmm. So that would be smart. Yeah. And I'm, yes. I'm sort of like, okay, wait, wait, is this going to be more like a detective show? That's <laughs> what it seemed show? like. Indeed. But, I mean, if you remember back to Dr. No, the first James Bond movie, that almost felt more like a detective than a spy as well. So maybe it was just At least in, the first, yeah. Yeah. So the colonel who, what was his name? Colonel Sigur. Sigur. I don't said Sigur, but that's Tom Sigur. I think it's Sigur, yeah. <laughs> Sigur. So Colonel Sigur said, what wants Drake to go home, apparently the army party, because there's a political party that's just made up of the army, is whipping the rioters into a panic. And once they reach a, tr- a threshold, the army will, you know, take over and form like a, what's the word I'm looking for? Provisionary government. And the colonel, apparently, is, the colonel's a, a good upstanding guy. He doesn't want that. I like the part here where he like opens the door for Drake to leave and he like, Drake like closes it with his fingers. That was like kind of a cool move. It's yeah. Like, I don't think I'm leaving. And so we find out that their only suspect is Lieutenant Cortez, who apparently has a bunch of gambling debts. We also refer to Josetta as the girl at this part. I also think it's kind of funny that they're talking about the details of the case within her earshot, because if she can hear a car coming down the driveway, <laughs> she can true. totally hear them. But she doesn't catch on, or she doesn't let on, I mean. Drake goes to the local casino to d- gamble uh, with Cortez. Very James Bond move. Yeah, like, Kristen's got to like this. He's even wearing a tuxedo. <laughs> I did appreciate the very 60s tuxedos with, I think they had, like, shawl collar lapels, which is also, like, the classic James Bond look. Again, before James Bond. True, true. Actually, in my notes, I have nice tuxedos. <laughs> okay. Uh, so at so. this part, he, he meets Cortez, and as the audience, we know that Cortez is the killer because we recognize him. Because we can see him. And he has some device which he was able to record the audio, like, the audio of Cortez talking, and they play it back for Senorita Ingress, and she recognizes the voice. And how did Drake get a hold of the cologne? That's a good question. <laughs> Like, did he somehow get close enough to him to smell it and recognize it? Like, you know, like Batman who has every scent memorized. Well, didn't he, like, hold up a bottle of something? Yeah, so that's what I was wondering. How did he get a hold of that? Okay, so my theory is, like Batman, he smells it. Then he goes to a perfume store and, like, smells every single one (laughs) until he finds the right one. So this episode is really short. As I said, it goes really fast. So you're like, you got to keep up. (laughs) <laughs> I'm like our other one, but we'll get to that later. Yeah. So, Senorita Ingress recognizes the voice and the perfume. They found yes, the killer. They found it, but it's not going to hold up in court with just the word of a blind of the bl- blind sister and you know who recognizes a voice and a perfume. So, what they really right. need is they need to get Cortez a slip up. Drake uh, even uses the term "break him." It's <laughs> all intense. <laughs> yeah. So Drake asks for an, uh, the colonel for an electronics expert. And says, okay, I'll set you up. He goes to his car and he gets ambushed by Cortez and one of Cortez's henchmen. Right. And they threaten him to like leave. They say, you know, you should leave, get out of here. And he drives back to his hotel. And there's a woman waiting for his for him in his room, uh, who says, claims that she, you know, that he and Drake invited her up. But of course, this is not true because we know we've seen that you know he just came from the house, unless there's something we didn't see. Right, so this reminds me of a story about my dad. Oh. This is my dad's story, okay? Oh. So he 
was on business trip once. This is a true story. And he got a text uh-huh. from an unknown number that was like, hey, I had a really good time last night. Hmm. And he's like, that's great, but you have the wrong number. And the number writes back to him is like, what, you don't want to see me again? And my dad was like, seriously, you have the wrong number. Stop talking to me. And he thinks it was like a blackmail like scheme. That sounds right. Yeah. But, anyway, it, but so... this time it was really poorly handled. <laughs> <laughs> There's a knock at the door. Like he's trying to get her to leave. Like it's like, I don't know who you are. What's going You know, get out of here. And mm. there's a knock at the door and it's Cortez and his henchman. And we find out that this, that this is supposedly the henchman's wife. Yeah, and there's a part where he says, should I know it? <laughs> something I say a lot about actors, so I thought that was funny. Mm-hmm. So they knock him out, and they put a gun in his hand. Mm-hmm. And, and it, they fire it. Point, yeah, I was watching it with my sister, and she thought they were going to cut off his fingers. Oh, I was like, oh, you've been watching too many shows from 2020. <laughs> Not shows from 1960. All right. And so next we have a, uh, a scene with the colonel, still in the hotel room, and apparently... They have three witnesses, and so they really can't dispute it. But he's going to go and try to see if he can clear it up with one of the, uh, the judges. He introduces uh, Drake to the electronics expert, whose name I don't have written down. Yeah, I don't have it down either. The plan is they're going to use this electronics expert to get to be able to see, in quotation marks. <laughs> yeah. So basically, they set her up with like an earpiece, uh, which allows Drake to direct her to where, he, to where she's going, so that she can make it appear like she can see. So, you know, she won't be using her hands or like a, a stick to guide her. She's just going to be walking very confidently. So they would they set up in her house to practice. Like they move stuff around for, for her. Uh, like they move a, chi- move a chair that's usually there. So she, so, which she, so she can't use it to guide herself. And then what they, then as a test, they have the Colonel arrive. Well, I like this part. She had like, he takes out, there's some flowers. She takes out a single flower, puts it next to the cigarette box. When the colonel comes in, she offers him a cigarette and sees that there's, and quote unquote, sees that there's a flower loose. He's like, oh, that's a shame, and puts it back. And all the while, the colonel's like, wait, what? How can you know? How can you see that? So the test runs well. Only work on TV because blind people can't, you can't focus your eyes on anything. <laughs> so unless Cortez is like an idiot, which I guess he could be, yeah. there's no way this would actually work. And we also find out that apparently Drake needs to appear before the court tomorrow. He, the colonel wasn't able to work his ma- like all of his magic, but that's okay because they're going to take action tonight. So it's like, why even have the whole court thing? Be I don't it? know. I if think it doesn't it's affect to, the plot. It's to add like a ticking clock. Okay. <laughs> I don't feel like the episode really needed that, but whatever. <laughs> I mean, it's short enough that it, it's you know it's got to br- move very quickly, anyways. So mm-hmm. uh, the sister. Senor Ingress or Senorita Ingress makes an appearance in a restaurant where Cortez is, right, uh, with his henchman and his henchman's wife. I think they're all there. Yes. But, yeah. Well, they got the henchman's wife for one scene. So they're like, "Let's just yeah. use her again." So Cortez is very confused when he sees her walking in, very confidently walking down the stairs, mm-hmm. and like, I, I like this. So Drake is speaking into his watch, basically, <laughs> saying, telling, directing her. And mm-hmm. is saying, "All right, you know, take out your compact mirror, look at it, you look at yourself in it." And it's like, oh, "That's pretty good. That's a, that's the stuff that really gives a hint that oh, she can see." He even directs her to go over to Cortez's table and have him glare at him and then leave. Yes, and again, so this is the thing with something else that just occurred to me is that when he saw her before, she yeah. was blind. 
mm-hmm. very clearly. <laughs> so it's like, did he suddenly magically somehow be able to see in the last 24 hours? Or, well, I mean, it puts that idea in her mind, his mind, so that he gets that maybe she can see. Maybe he's she's not actually blind. I don't know. Maybe she just had like some sort of injury that morning, but it's healed up now. Who knows? But it's it, it puts that into his head. Like, wait, can she see? Uh oh, am I am I screwed here? Yeah, don't worry about it. I guess she leaves, and uh-huh. Cortez follows. So Drake is back at the house, and you know has her go up to her room and put mm-hmm. on the, turn on the lights. And this is when the funky music starts. Do you watch the <laughs> subtitles? Subtitles no. says funky music at oh, this Oh, that's part. so funny. <laughs> so he sneaks in, goes to a window, and he actually he uses the the old, you know, diamond cut, use, using a diamond to cut through glass. But I like that it wasn't like a perfect circle that you usually see. Mm-hmm. It looked like a, it would actually look where it's, again, look, turns out bad. But he only right. uses it to, like, break into part of it so he can use open the window the rest of the way. Mm-hmm. And he goes up to the sister's door, sees the sisters at looking out the window, and he just cold-blooded shoots her a bunch of times. Yeah, like five or six times. Even but, though it doesn't react to getting hit by the bullet. Yeah. But of course, it's a dummy. Yes, it's a mannequin wearing her clothes. The colonel's there in the room, arrests Cortez, they've got their man, and like that, it just pretty much wraps up with that. Yeah, there's just one line where he says, this will put an end to the general's plan. It's like, oh, right, there's a general, there's, like, a whole thing going on. I, like, forgot about it. <laughs> yeah, that's the end of the episode. Yeah, these classic ones are known for these really sudden endings. It's not like Star Trek, where they have, like, a wrap-up scene where they, like, talk about... And then have a laugh and freeze frame. Sure. All right, so, um, did you have any... I didn't have any favorite quotes from this one. Did you have any favorite quotes? Uh, no, the dialogue went so fast, I barely yeah. had time to write down All anything. Right. All right. Um, how, what, how did you want to rate this episode? Um, as a reminder for our viewers, when we do our ratings, they're from one to ten martinis, one being the worst spy movie or TV show you've ever seen, and ten being the absolute pinnacle of the best. So it's a good question. I feel like this episode was okay. It had some pretty good moments. Mm-hmm. It was a slightly above average, though. I will give it a six out of ten. Six out of ten. I'm going to join you with that. Like, I think it's it was it was okay. Like, I'm wondering if we watch the very first episode, if there's more introduction to Drake or if it's just, just in like this as well. I think the opening text is, is like all, pretty you're, much is all you're going to get. So yeah. it's like Star Trek or one of those series where it's just like every, you just sort of jump into it and there's really no direct continuity, a lot of continuity between ep- episode episodes. It's really going to change things. Yeah, I don't think so. Okay. Uh, all right. Or it's like Superman where every, with like the old cartoon, the Max Spicer mm-hmm. cartoon where it's like, Doomed world, desperate scientists, last hope, <laughs> grateful parents, or whatever, and then and then you just go, you figure it out. Hmm, okay, but yeah, so I, I think it's six. Like, it's, it's like I had never, I've never seen the show before, so it was very interesting, and it was definitely the shortest of any sort of like spy media that I've seen. It was like a quick twenty-five minutes. The fact that it went so quickly, I really appreciate it. It's like a pretty simple story, but it was executed well, and I wasn't bored. As you may recall, that's my biggest <laughs> concern when watching this stuff. Hi, Spy5 fans. We have a promotion for you. This is not an ad. No, it is not. We're offering you a chance to win a free Spy5 Guys t-shirt if you live in the U.S. or Canada. All you have to do is leave a five-star review for this podcast on iTunes and use the code word SUMMER in the review. That's the code word SUMMER. You have until the end of the swinging 60s summer, so the end of September 2021. We will select our winner at random from all the entries received. 
Again, that's a five-star written review with the code word SUMMER for your chance to win. Good luck, and thank you for listening. All right, Mm -hmm. so let's move on to our next episode. Season 3, episode 15, Whatever Happened to George Foster? All right, and the synopsis from IMDb is... Drake discovers that a woman is financing political agitators in Santo Marco, trying to bring down the government. He sets out to find out who employs her and why. Okay, yeah. Okay, so we f- we start with again, like this is why I asked because this one also starts with like a very you know sort of very disjointed, jarring f- uh, filmmaking with loud, loud noises. So I was like, does every episode start like this? Well, doesn't this one begin with the opening credits? I guess the, no, with, that, like, the credits. Mm-mm. That happens like later after this for after this cold open. Oh, okay. So we have like rioting in a South American country. Is this Drake here that we see at first? I wasn't sure because I kind of forgot what Drake looked like. Uh, what? Yeah, no, that's him. Okay. In like a, in like a tan suit. Okay. So yeah, so Drake is watching a woman hand out these packets. Mm-hmm. And we're not sure what's in these packets. And then so he go, Drake goes and grabs a man who has one of the packets, beats him up, roughs him up a little and grabs a packet. And we find out there's cash inside. Yeah, so he effectively mugs him. Yeah. So this one we get our opening credits. So they're different than the last ones, and it's yes. like a like like you said, a bunch of images, including like an airplane, like a a Pan Am airplane, setting the right. tone of the '60s. Mm-hmm. Um, when did this one? This one came out in what? This Six, is like 1966. 65. Yeah. Okay. So this is after the first James Bond film. Actually, this is around the time the Thunderball came out. So mm-hmm. bit of a gap there. And yes. we find Drake at an airport, and there's a woman arriving at the airport who gets into this nice uh, car, and he follows her, and right. she arrives at an office which has a big sign for it, says the Society for Cultural Relations with South Africa. Isn't this the same woman from before, by the way? To be clear, yeah, this is the same woman who we saw in the South American countries. So, so right. it all can all the dots start connecting, and he goes into the office after her. We find out her name is Ms. Sophia Cooper, and that she has yes. interests in Santo Marco, which is the country we saw earlier. Mm-hmm. And she brings, you know, culture and funding down there. And he tells her that, well, the, the money that you're sending down there is being funneled to agitators who want to bring down the government. And he wants to speak to whoever her financial backer is. It's kind of funny. She's like, it's not my problem. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she's like, ah, I don't really care. But I do like how she wasn't intimidated by him at all. Mm-hmm. And so, so what's his cover here? He works for like a travel organization. Yeah, I think he said something about how he wanted to bring tourists to Santa Marco. Okay. And is that always of... his cover, or does he have like different covers every episode? So unfortunately, I did watch a few episodes, but it was like a long time ago before we covered these, so I don't really uh-huh. remember. I think he does a slightly different covers, but they're all pretty vague. They're all pretty international uh-huh. travel related. Sure. It's like how James Bond's cover sometimes is working for an import-export company. So far, the only movie we've seen where he's had that is Dr. No, though. There are, sure there are others. quite a few where he has that same cover. Are they all Connery's? No. no uh, in, okay. The company, Universal Export, pops up in as far as the uh, Daniel Craig's as well. Okay, nice. I mean, that's from the novels. But, but we're not here to talk about James Bond today. We're here to talk about Danger Man. Yes. So Drake goes home. A piece of a paper popped out of one of his drawers. So someone has been searching for stuff. Yes. So he goes, he makes a phone call 
uh, fakes that he was saying, oh, thanks. It was a, sh- a shop or something co- calling him that that he has something that he needs to pick up. Has a fake phone call, goes over the door, opens it, closes it to make it sound like he just left. But as he does, and he's all crouched down as he's doing this, someone draws a gun on him. Yes. But he managed to overtake them. They run out the door. Yeah, I don't understand what the gunman was trying to accomplish here. I don't know. Threatening him? Well, maybe he was just trying to get out. He was trying to search his house and then get out. Oh, uh, yeah. Well, there's a part where he like slams the door on the guy's hand and there's it looks like blood. Am I am I right? Am I wrong? Maybe, but there's also like a very distinctive ring too. I thought that was gonna be ooh, is that like tying into whoever he works for, like a specter mm. ring? But no, I, I but no. neither of these things come back. <laughs> <laughs> so then he goes into uh, Drake goes to what looks like a newspaper office, or is this his travel company? I thought it was a newspaper. Okay, I I don't think it's his company. I think this is this woman that he talks to is that like just, just one of his friends' contacts. Okay. Yeah. So her name's Pauline. She seems to be like running the show there or is she just like a reporter. I couldn't really tell. Like that's the one thing. Like they don't give a lot of details. They just assume that you know what's going on. No, you got to keep up. This episode is so slow in some parts and so fast in others. It's very difficult to follow. But I liked her like money penny vibe. I was going to say it's a very money penny vibe, like money penny-ish flirting with him. Uh, and apparently yes. she knows Sophia. She says that she's a manipulative career girl who's just trying to climb the ladder. Well, hang on. Is it Sophia or Sylvia? I is thought it was name? Sophia. I thought it was uh, Sylvia. Check, oh, IMDb. You want to check IMDb? Yeah. <laughs> well, because Pauline says a girl named Sylvia. What a crazy thing or something like that. I thought. Well, so unfortunately, there are no captions for this. So we have no idea. So- oh, Sophia. Sophia. C-E-R-T-H-I-A. We were both wrong. Oh my goodness. That's so funny. <laughs> I would, you know, all right. So, Sophia. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, she says she's uh, very manipulative. She's just trying to, you know, rise up in the world. Uh, doesn't trust her one bit. Yeah. And of course, her ears must have been burning because she calls Pauline's number and somehow knows that Drake's there. Well, they explain that. She's like, was, I left a message at my house that I was coming here. Oh, that's right. But I'm like, how does that work? I don't know. I, I don't, don't want to deal with that. I don't know. <laughs> but she gives him uh, Surfia. I, I just, that's just a weird. <laughs> Surfia says, I have someone who will want to talk to you about Santa Marco. Yes. And gives him directions to a penthouse. Drake goes up there and meets Lord Ammonford. Who... Another name that was hard to understand. <laughs> yeah. I thought it was like Lord Hammond. I think go on IMDb. Did you recognize this guy? Was he M? It is M, yes. Oh okay. my goodness, thank you. This time you recognized M. I guess he didn't have a mush- mustache this time. Well, I'm like, he looks like M, but is he just a heavyset old British guy? <laughs> well, no, okay, so once I heard the voice, I'm like, oh, that's definitely M. M played by Bernard Lee in the first, like, 13 James Bond films. Yeah, yeah, right. The the most famous one, I think. Well, other yeah, than The one Judy I Dench. know. Well, yeah, right, besides her. The, the, yeah. the most known classic one. So... Basically, at this part, Drake is like, your money is not going where you want it to go. It's going yeah. to revolutionaries and stuff. And apparently, um, Ammon Ford want, is investing in Santa Marco to try to bring them out of the dark ages and, you know, all that. Mm-hmm. But so he, but basically, he doesn't care, care if the money goes into revolutionaries as long as he gets his profit from it. Yeah. And there's a part here where Drake is like, and what about freedom? <laughs> which of course is going to remember that when we cover the prisoner next, next time. 
Because, right. Uh, right. It gave me vibes for that. Interesting. Okay. And so Ammon Ford asks, oh, how is Menton, by the way? And Menton apparently is head of the foreign office. So who would be Drake's boss's boss's boss, basically? Yeah. So it indicates that he knows that Drake is like a secret agent man. Mm-hmm. <laughs> hey, that's the name of the show. <laughs> but he, he also shows that he like has some power. That yeah, he has not connections. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And there's a part here when they're leaving mm-hmm. and Cynthia is like, oh, I kind of like John Drake. And Lord Ammonford says, what a pity. Oh, yeah, I like that. Oh, it was his wife. Who oh, says his wife. That, right? Sorry, not not Paul, not, not, uh, not Cynthia. Not Cynthia. Yeah, it was which is like Ammonford. Yeah, which is yeah. like it, it indicates that like, oh, he's going to kill him. But then he never does. He's... He like barely even mm-hmm. tries. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and so Drake meets with uh, Sir, Sir, Menton, Sir Joseph Menton. Mm-hmm. And uh, Menton wants Drake to drop the matter. He puts him on leave for a month. Mm-hmm. So Drake goes home. Certhia is waiting for him there, which gave me vibes of the last episode. I was like, "All right, are they gonna? Is they trying to set him up for something again?" Again, he keeps falling for it. <laughs> but no. So she's just there to taunt him, and it looks like he's all packed up to go somewhere. And so Drake goes to the airport. He's trying to get on a flight to Santa Marco, but the you know, I feel like we had this discussion for License Kill. I couldn't remember what the name of the person who's at the ticket office is. Yeah, I was the one who couldn't remember it last time. <laughs> Anyways, the the attendant, shall we say, uh, who right. works for the airline, or the ticket office person, is saying, oh, you know, there's no seats left, unfortunately. We had to cancel. You couldn't get you on a flight. But apparently she was just on the phone with someone who was canceling their ticket. And, like, he even, like, goes over and sees, like, the plane's half full. Why don't you, why don't you let me on? And Certhia is there behind him, who I think is getting on that flight, and taunts him some more. I we love find... this part. I love this part. It's like yeah. a big, tough secret agent is being foiled by like <laughs> an airport bureaucrat. Right. And he just takes it, too. It's not like he tries to sneak on board or use a false identity or anything. It's well, just like, okay. I mean, how would he... I, I guess he could use like a Mission Impossible-style mask to get on board. <laughs> I mean, something. Come yeah. on, this is like his job. The reason why he cannot get on board is because Ammonford is the chairman of the airline, so he's already put his word through to don't let him on board. Don't let him get through. Percy so yeah, so Ammonford's got some, some connections there. He's one step ahead of us the whole time. So Drake goes back to Pauline, and Pauline gives him some detail, like details on Ammonford's background, mm-hmm. and we find that he, he was born as Peter Jones, and he's Welsh. And Gives him the name of his hometown, which is something in Welsh that I could not catch. Forget it. <laughs> it's like, oh my god, this this whole part like broke broke me. <laughs> I think I think also around here he says "be seeing you" to somebody, mm-hmm. which is also from the prisoner. So I remember uh, that. Uh, interesting. All right. So yeah, this took a complete left turn where I, to where I thought it was going to go. I was like, oh, so he's gonna he's gonna find some other way to get to Santa Marco. We're gonna have some intrigue there. No, he goes to go research uh, Ammonford or Peter Jones's background. Yes, and he does like he does that for like the next twenty minutes. <laughs> so he goes. He talks to a pastor there, a school teacher, a grocer, a guy at the bar, and they all everybody. Give, all these come different conflicting descriptions of Peter Jones. Mm-hmm. And so when he's in the bar talking, to the very last guy who said, "You know, I knew him from you know, like he was like a son to me." And uh-huh. I was like, oh, really? So what? Well, well, how would you describe him? <laughs> I was like, oh, well, that's hard to say. <laughs> uh, that was a little funny. Yeah. So Drake gets a call from Pauline, 
who says, all right, I've located his first, like, first uh, passport application, which gives his parents' names and their address. And apparently, mm-hmm. Jones, Jones is a common enough uh, last name, a Welsh, common enough Welsh last name. I didn't know that Jones was a Welsh last name until I watched the episode of the Young Indiana Jones Chronicle. And if you're counting, that's, yeah, the next Fourth? time that I mention this. <laughs> so, <laughs> I feel like I've had... A, it's probably the fourth time I've mentioned it in the show, but is it seriously a Welsh name though? I thought it was just British. Apparently it is. Cause it, I mean, if it's, if they mention it there, they mention it here. So yeah, it sounds like it. Oh, that's interesting. So he goes, anyways, Drake goes to the location for that. Uh, Pauline gave him. And as he's going there, he talks to someone asks, Oh, you know, do you know, Peter, Peter Jones? Oh, knew him like a brother. He was known him since childhood. And then there's this funeral procession going on. And like, who is the funeral for? Oh, for Peter Jones. Yes, yeah, so he so, like goes dun, to the funeral. <laughs> it's like, what? <laughs> what? Okay, so he's at the funeral. Mm-hmm. Not too much to say about that. No. Yeah. Uh, but they, they go through the whole thing. They go through, like, the burial and everything. Mm-hmm. But someone at the funeral asks Drake for a ride back to the station because there's no bus stations nearby. And as, as it goes through... There's a car accident, so like the car had run into a ditch, and they asked Drake to give him a hand. So, which of course he does, but as he's trying to help push out, they all stop pushing. Right. And like look at him, and he's like, wait, what's going on? They have him at gunpoint. They don't shoot him, but they not, like knock him out. And then apparently they just leave him there. They don't do yeah, anything. Right. Because well, I, I don't, I think they also like work him over because in the next scene he has like multiple injuries on. His oh, face. That's true. That's true. Yeah. So, but th- we don't f- we see any of that though because the next scene is Drake going back to Ammonford. So, you know what this reminded me of? I what? know we talked about detective stuff, but it was like noir detective, like a like PI, like Sam yeah, Spade. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I could definitely see that. Mm-hmm. So, Drake tells Ammonford that he visited Wales and asks how he knew. Ruthen Jones or and Bronwyn Jones, uh, who are supposedly his parents, and he like tries to get out of him why he changed his name. And at that moment, Lady Ammonford comes in and is telling you know Lord Ammonford come to bed. Then Drake just leaves. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Drake's waiting for Sophie. Uh, Sophie is waiting for Drake in his home. She's trying to pay him off to drop the case. We have like really good banter at this part, right? Yeah. Uh And at that point, Pauline arrives at his house and uh, uh, Serfia, because I forgot that that's not her name, it's not Sophia, it's Serfia. Right, Serfia, yeah. And Pauline has more information. Right. Well, it's information about his his wife. Uh, Lady Ammonford. And Mm -hmm. we find out that, you know, there's a, we find her nanny. Because they're really going to any length to try to get any information real at this point. Yeah. So this is, isn't this the part with the photo? Yes. Yeah, so we meet Nanny, who was, yeah. Oh, the old of, lady, right. The old lady. Uh-huh. And she has, like, telling stories about Lady Ammonford, but doesn't really say, says she doesn't know Lord Ammonford very well. And mm-hmm. he's asking, do you have photos of, you know, of her as younger? Uh, yeah, sure, I've got plenty of those. What about from their wedding? No, I don't have any of those. Yeah. But he does see a photo of Lady Ammonford's sister at her wedding. Mm-hmm. And the chauffeur is very familiar looking. 
Yes, it's M. Yes, it's Lord Ammonford. What? Dun, dun. Oh yeah, so he go he brings the photo back to Pauline, and yeah, we have that revelation that's Lord Ammonford, and but we don't have any real information other than that. So he Drake goes back to the to Nanny to see if he can get any more information out of her, but he's on to or she, Nanny is on to Drake, mm-hmm. and we get we get this one tidbit though that um he wasn't the family driver he was a hired call so it's not like he knew him very well yeah so he goes over to where the local hire well like the local car company that hires out cars and they have they say that oh you know a lot of them are like oh he's before my time before the war because it was in 1930 i was gonna say it was like decades ago do you really expect them to remember this no but there's apparently one worker because this is in the days where you worked at a company and you stayed there for your like your life yeah, he not only knows Lord Ammonforth or whatever, but he's willing to like commit all these crimes to protect him. Who is this guy? Oh, this driver. Oh, we're, not, we're we're not there yet. I know. It's a little bit of a preview. Okay. They said there's someone who might know Lord Ammonford, and so who is it that like wrecks his car? Okay, here's not what I think happened. So the, no, no, no. They're driving. Yeah. And the the guy that he's driving with, who has oh, like the right. helmet and the goggles, like grabs the wheel or whatever. Okay, so it's people from the hire car, like the car yes. company. What? But I don't remember what he said or how he was able to get himself into Drake's car. Oh, no, because he said, oh, I'll, t- I'll show you where the guy lives. That's how. Oh, uh, okay, okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so that's all legit. Yeah. And so, yeah, so they crash his car. They pour some liquor on him to make it look like he was drunk driving. And Drake's arrested and brought, and, you know, brought to um, the police station. And they're going to put him in a cell. But he escapes, knocks out a cop, and steals a cop car. Finally, some action. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, I know we just had some action, but finally, like, some legit, like, tension. Yeah. And so he goes to visit the old driver, and he and the driver recognizes the photo that he has of from the wedding. And says, oh, that's George Foster. I didn't trust him. He wasn't honest. He apparently left his wife and kids. Wait, what? <laughs> Oh my goodness, another twist. Just can't handle it. Apparently someone, I think it was a cop. We're not sure. I don't know who this is, actually. Someone comes looking for Drake at the old at the old driver's house. And There's Drake like knocks, so many freaking characters in this one. <laughs> Drake knocks him off, off, knocks out that guy, whoever's after him, steals, right. the co- steals his car. So now there's a, that cop car that was left behind. Mm-hmm. And drives to go find Mrs mrs foster and so he finds mrs foster finds out that they're not divorced because mrs foster didn't believe in it but he makes him makes lord ammonford still send money back to lord uh to mrs foster uh to take care of the kids right after finding out all of this drake goes back to pauline's apparently he's making some witty banter about harboring a fugitive yeah that was that was also really good the banter is good here I'll, i'll say that yeah and Serthia drops by. Mm-hmm. And she's looking for Drake. And Pauline's like, oh, Drake never comes around here. But like, she, she's trying to hide the fact that Drake's jacket is on the couch. Mm. And so like, starts you know, trying to distract her in other ways. And it gets to the point where the only way to distract her is to start a cat fight. <laughs> yep. So they're fighting. And as they're fighting, Drake comes out of the bathroom where I think he was like shaving or something. And mm-hmm. like grabs his jacket and the and oh well the important thing is inside his jacket was also the portfolio of all the information that he's gathered. Yeah, exactly, exactly. That's why he was willing to fight. Yeah, 
Scythia to keep her away. But this part was so funny that they're like fighting, 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 fighting. <laughs> he just like just... grabs his jacket, walk, sneaks out the door. <laughs> he's like, I'm out of here. He's like Homer Simpson going into the bushes. He's uh, like, I'm out. <laughs> and so, finally, Drake goes back to Ammonford's. Ammon Ford tries to Drake to bribe Drake. Now it's up from ten thousand to twenty thousand pounds, but not bad. Drake's like, nope. Uh, I've got my own information and tells him all the information has about how he's a bigamist. Not cool in nineteen sixty five. Nope. But Ammon Ford's like, yeah, no, that doesn't matter. No, no reputable newspaper will publish this story, and it won't affect my businesses. And as he's saying this, his wife comes in and like. Seeing if a if a jacket sleeve will fit him, maybe I think he's making something for him. Mm-hmm. And Drake now says, "All right, if if you're not all of your businesses in Santo Marco in 20 minutes, I'm gonna se- I have 200 copies of this packet, and I'm gonna send a copy to every influential editor. And even if not everyone publishes it, someone will, and your wife will see that story. So he's blackmailing him to get him to pulling out of Santo Marco." Right. Remember Santa Marco? <laughs> oh, yeah, right. What happened yeah, to that's that? That's what this is about. <laughs> so Ammonford says, all right, fine. I'll pull out of Santa Marco, all my money out of Santa Marco. He makes all these calls. Drake has this like spe- very specific statement for him to make that says, you know, that I've discovered that, you know, the m- my money has been going to revolutionaries and not to where I thought that they would. Yeah. And so once he's done making all those calls, leaves and leaves the packet with Ammonford and says, take care of it. It's the only copy. <laughs> yeah. So he's bluffing him. Mm-hmm. All right. Did you have any? Fa- so that's and that's the and end that's the end of, of the, the episode. episode. Yeah. <laughs> so did Christ. you have any favorite notes from this episode? Yeah, I did. I had a few, and I hope I don't take right. any of yours because I'm going to say a bunch of them. All right. Well, let me go first because I had one. Okay, go ahead. Yes. He said it's uh, Lord Ammonford. He says to Drake, he's like. You've got a very old-fashioned idea of capitalism, Drake. And then Drake says, or a very old-fashioned idea of democracy. Democracy. Yeah. Yeah. So, I like that that, uh, Drake's whole motivation is, all right, I want to protect the people who were there who apparently had just, like, were just reaching for democracy. And he's like, and... Ammon Ford's, you know, trying to ruin that, ruin that for him so he can make money. Okay, yeah, I like you. Yeah, you like those like serious quotes. <laughs> okay, Not so always. Sometimes so I like goofy quotes. That's true. Okay, so here's some of mine. I like the part where Pauline saying about um, Cynthia or whatever. She's predatory, scheming megalomaniac, <laughs> which is is like she doesn't come off that way in the actual show. I mean, she doesn't seem no. like the greatest person in the world, but. I'd be interested to come back to this and wonder if she's like a recurring character. That's a good point. I don't know. I don't, I, we don't know. I don't know. Okay. So other quotes I like is by Emmonforth. He says, I'm too rich to have problems. <laughs> and then finally, Drake says to Cynthia, what I like about myself is the way I don't like you. <laughs> so that, that's some style of banter. That's pretty good. All right. So shall we get into the spy fact versus spy fiction? Uh, you can tell us or tell us what you have. Okay, so I don't have anything written down, but I I read a little bit about this show. So the first episode that we watched was part of season one that went and it didn't do very well in the ratings. It got canceled, but then it like on like the original Star Trek, it got popular in reruns and people mm-hmm. wanted it to come back, which it did a few years later. So the first one was in 1960, and then I think it started again in 1965 for three this, more seasons. The second time was like a wholly British production, right? As opposed to the yes. first time it was American, more like American backing. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. Um, so Patrick McGuhan was involved as like a producer mm-hmm. when it came back. And he apparently was like religious or something. So okay. he didn't want John Drake character to kiss anybody who wasn't his wife. Huh. So he wasn't kissing anybody because he doesn't have a wife and other stuff like that. Like you think he didn't want him to kill people if it could be avoided. Okay. So he like rarely kills people in the entire run of the series. Interesting. Yeah. So. Well, not that we really saw him kill anyone in the first episode we watched. No, but it's not like he didn't have opportunities. That's to. true. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it, I mean, the, the, the show doesn't that sort of it's it's big claim to fame besides the theme song is that it's the run up to the prisoner, which we will talk about next time. Yeah. All right. So how do you want to rate our uh, second episode that we watched uh, from one to ten martinis? OK, I will. OK, yeah, our ratings 10 being a, amazing, a great episode of television <laughs> and one being absolutely horrible. So I really like Patrick McGuhan. I like mm-hmm. the banter. The action where it was was really good, but this story was terrible. <laughs> it was so boring. Uh, it was like him walking around and talking to people about, like, really, I don't know. <laughs> I, I think I made my point. It was really slow. I'm going to give it a four out of 10. Okay. I'm with you there. Like, uh, yeah, I, I, I like the first half of this episode when he's like investigating, but before, uh, like, up to the point where he tries to go to Santa Marco, I'm like, all right, you know, I'm interested. But then when it goes to like, oh, off to the Wales countryside, I'm like, wait, what is going on? Yeah, they need so, to space out their action a little bit. I don't know. But I really, I like the banter and I liked, I liked Bernard Lee as a villain because mm. you don't often see him as a villain. Or at least in, for me, like I usually see him as am. Right. Patrick McGuhan's really good, but he, the stuff he's in is just old. and that, <laughs> That's hard. That's hard to watch. Yeah. So I'm going to give it, give it a five. I'm going to be a little bit kinder than you, but. Yeah. As usual. <laughs> okay, well, that is it for Danger Man slash Secret Agent. Thank you for joining us. You can find us on social media at the SpyFi Guys under Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Until next time, I'm Zach. And I'm Christian. And we are the SpyFi Guys signing off. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed our podcast, please be sure to rate and review us on iTunes. The theme music is by Jer Fitzgerald and Big Man Joe. Media reviewed by our podcast are the intellectual property of their respective copyright holders and no infringement is intended. This is a personal podcast. Any views, statements, or opinions expressed in this podcast are personal and belong solely to the participants. They do not represent those of people, institutions, or organizations that the participants may or may not be associated with in a professional or personal capacity unless explicitly stated. Any views or opinions are not intended to malign any religion, ethnic group, club, organization, company, or individual. You can find our podcast on social media at The Spy Five Guys on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.